0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Poolside Pass podcast. In today's episode, uh, I'm joined by two coaches, so it's the first time for, for me having two coaches on a recorded episode of the podcast. Uh, obviously, we had three coaches on at once when we did the live podcast over in series one. It's the first time having, having two coaches on uh, from the same program um, to, to, to talk about how they work together. So this week, we're joined by Stuart McNary and Adam Baker from the Swansea High Performance Centre. Uh, and this week we're going to be discussing, obviously, how they work together as a team over at their Performance Centre, um, but also preparing swimmers and taking swimmers on that journey uh, to the Olympic Games, which are currently taking place out in Tokyo. So it'll be interesting to, to hear Adam and Stuart's thoughts on preparing swimmers for the Olympic Games and then send them off to go to going away to, to an Olympic camp. Um, this is the penultimate episode in the series. I uh, hope to be bringing you uh, episode eight uh, in just a few weeks, going to take a few weeks break, just uh, let everyone enjoy the Olympic Games and, and then hopefully I'll be able to get episode eight to you uh, once the Olympic Games is is, is done and dusted. Um, but, you know, episode seven here, if you've not heard the six episodes prior to that with Kevin Pickard, Russ Barber, Rick Hall, Sean Barmer, Andy Manley and Robin Armayan, then, then make sure you go and check those out, subscribe to the podcast and, and you can get all those plus many, many more that we recorded in series one, two and Three of the podcast. Um, so, without further ado, let's get into the show. Okay, so I think it's about time I welcome Stuart and Adam to the podcast. How are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, things have gone pretty well um, over the last few weeks um, with the preparation for the guys going off to the game. So uh, they finally left on Saturday. So I think we're uh, we're in a good place, ready to ready for them to go. And not only that, the guys that are left behind, they're, they're currently gearing up to. They have an opportunity. We've got a sort of a a mini meet, if you like, where their their times will be ratified for Commonwealth Games as well. So we can start to put people on Commonwealth Games teams this summer as well. So.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: Uh, everyone's everyone's got a purpose still left this season. It's not just the case of Olympic guys, and that's it. So.
0: Oh, that's that's great. Um, so, why don't we start by just getting uh, briefly uh, both your backgrounds in coaching and swimming? Uh, it's the first time I've had kind of two guests on at once. So, uh, it'll be interesting for, for guests to hear kind of both your backgrounds and, and, and see how you got to, to where you're at now.
2: Okay. So, um, I started coaching maybe 25 years ago, maybe a
1: bit longer perhaps. Um, Swam at Southampton, CS Southampton swimming club until I was about 18, 19, um, and then went into a little bit of coaching um, with the program. And then moved to my first head coach's role in Hazelmere, a little club just south of Guildford. Um, Was there for five years and then moved to Stockport Metro um, as a a junior coach there. Um, Did quite a lot of work with Sean Kelly. and the senior programs so and my role was sort of interchanging between the juniors and the senior program and then I moved to Swansea um, in 2007 where I was head coach at um, Swim Swansea for 10 years before we set up the Swim Wilds High Performance Centre which was four years ago maybe or four, four years ago so that's very brief on, on where I started and, and where we are at the moment.
0: And Stuart what about yourself?
1: Um I, I'm similar sort of thing, but obviously from a different neck of the woods. I started my career was back home in Ireland, uh, came over to uni in Cardiff. And once I finished my university degree in Cardiff, I, I sort of went into coaching basically to help a small club in Devon who were looking for a coach to cover for someone before they appointed someone else. Um, so the plan was for me to go in for two or three weeks and, and it was just to help them out. Um, I ended up being there for just over five years Then moved from Tiverton, where that was, to Exeter. I was the head coach in the city of Exeter for six years, I think. Uh, and then from Exeter, I moved to here, um, where I've, since then I've been employed by swim wheels on the various roles. Originally, my role was more to do with the university, but I sort of evolved over the years to now become the performance centre as we are, with the two of us working within the same team program
0: in July. Awesome so uh, like I said before this is the first time we've had kind of two coaches on the podcast uh, at the same time where it's not been we did one before we had um, three out part of a kind of live Q&A but is the first time we've had two coaches kind of record an episode at, at the same time and that's because at the High Performance Center in Swansea you kind of work you work side by side and um, you know that's for me it's, it's a really interesting dynamic to kind of dig into how does you know how does your program work and and w- what goes on to make sure that you know you two are working working together really well
1: so we, so we have 16 in a in a normal year we would have 16 athletes uh, clearly that's changed a little bit um since the pandemic but we normally have 16 athletes and we do a lot of work as as one group um, when we need to be really specific for individual events and strokes the athletes then split between the two coaches um so currently that split would be myself working with the freestyle guys yeah and Stuart working with the backstroke and the fly guys and we currently have graham Wardell as well from cardiff he's he's in the high performance center at the moment um because we're still in the elite bubble because of covid so he's working with the breaststroke guys right um so that's that's how we work they do, they do a lot of work. Together uh, throughout the week is one group, and then it's very specific when it needs to be. Right. If anything else to. Yeah, I think the important thing for it to work, Jimmy, is is everyone needs to be working towards the same end goal. Um, having been here over those 10, 11 years, and Adam can buy this as well, when we were first here, everyone was working for either a different employer between British women, Welsh women, the club. Uh, or, or you know, different fraternities, and each person then had their own sort of work objectives and agendas, if you like. And it, yeah. it, it got quite difficult to keep a program harmonious if everyone in the same program. So, with both of us working under both under swim wheels and both having the same agenda, the same goals, it it, it does actually make it a lot easier.
0: Perfect, brilliant. So, obviously, you've got um, a few athletes heading out to, or just just as you mentioned, head out to the Olympic games in Tokyo that, that are happening. Um, one of those is, is Alice Thomas. Um, now, just, you know, from, from my perspective as, as a swimming fan, but also a swimming coach as well, like reading into some of that Alice's story, it's, it's, it's quite a, a different story to perhaps some of those that are, some of those others that are, that are on the team. Um, it's, it's been a really like a long time coming for her to make, to make an Olympic team. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um and was so close in 16, and, and, and you know, that was a, a, a bit of a pill to swallow, but it, it, it was black and white, you know, you haven't done the time, you don't go. So, um, you know, I think it was more the being so close and it didn't come off. But I think then that gave her the motivation to, to carry on, to realise that dream that she's had since she was, you know, a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old swimmer. So, um, you know, the bulk of that motivation has come from within to achieve what she said I to do all those years ago.
0: So I just want to dig in a little bit to kind of, from a, from a coaching perspective, what were the kind of keys to making sure that, like you said there, the motivation for her came mostly from within, but, you know, what were the keys kind of on, on your part as coaches to making sure that that, that journey kept moving, especially after 2016 when, you, like, like you say, it was, you know, so close and we just missed out? I think
1: the key thing is just setting goals. And those goals don't necessarily just have to be based on a competition. It can be, you know, goals that we're working on in training, or you know, that you're doing something with a purpose all the time. So, if something comes off, great, do it. But you still reset. You still have the next goal. But even more so, if something doesn't come off, it's it's how you then, you know, refocus. Do you keep doing the same thing? Do you change something? You know, is there a different focus you're going to work towards or whatever? But it's all about the goal setting and and having we all said short, medium, and long-term goals. So the stuff that you can be working on day to day, but then the bigger picture of trying to achieve that dream you've always had. So um so yeah, there's been a number of different things we've we've tried to do. Um after 16, we we made a, a call with Alice. We actually we went on a camp in uh whatever you go, Gold Coast. Gold Coast. Um And we had done it the year before where Alice had gone and spent, or I would taken both Alice and Harriet actually to Michael Ball just for a day. Um, And we we thought there was so much that she could get from going back and spending a bit of time. So we actually, the following winter, she spent an extra week in Australia um, with Michael. And then the following year, she actually went out for a month on her own um, to Australia. And those are the things that I think have really helped because... At that time in his program, he had a lot of world-class butterfly swimmers. You know, he had an Olympic silver medalist from the two fly in Rio. So, I think it gave her the understanding. Well, hang on a minute! I can actually compete with these girls. I can go toe to toe with them in training. So, that was it. I think that made a big difference for her.
0: And I just want to because you, you say as a, as a group as um, at, at the high performance centre, a lot of the time, kind of you work as you work as one group. But then when it needs to be individualized, you know, you, you've got the flexibility to, to be able to do that. You know, you've also got someone like Dan Jervis going out on, on, on distance free. And that's you know, something that perhaps you look after a bit more, Adam. When you say you work kind of together as a group, when you've got swimmers that, that might have vastly different events, how much of the same stuff can they, can they be getting done?
1: So we start every session as a group. So, traditionally, I suppose as a coaching program, you would have a warm up, uh, a preset, a main set, and a swim down. We have it slightly different. So, we just have sets one through to four. So, set one is always together every session, every day, um, and we rotate who leads that. So, like this morning, I, I led that, and, and tomorrow, Stu will lead that. So, that's how that first bit works. And then also throughout the week, um, I would run a whole session with with the group. And then later on in the week, Stuart would run a whole session with the group. So the athletes get to see and work with um, both of us on an individual or a lead-type role. Um, And then the rest of the sessions throughout the week, as I said, they start together as one group. And then we would split for sets two and three. Um, And then sometimes we might come back together for set four. But sets two and three are normally the key block of work. That's when they're really specific. Um, sets one and four are normally more around the technical element. So although they're working together, um, they're still, it's still very, very individualised a- around what each athlete needs. So when you say... Uh,
2: sorry, yeah,
3: go I on. Think on that, I think it took a while for the um, athletes to take it on board that there was actually two coaches in the programme. And, and there are a lot of people out there outside of Swansea who still don't really get that there's two coaches working in the same program. Um, but I think we've got to the point now where the athletes, although, for example, Alice will spend most of her week with me and Dan would spend most of his week with, with ads, they're all comfortable chatting to each other now. So, that you know, they see us now as a program rather than this is my coach. Yeah, so, they'd be quite happy to go to a meet with either of us. So... Like the Manchester meets
1: in the lockdown, I didn't go to those. So Dan would work with Stu and we, and we swap it around when we need to. And the the athletes are really comfortable, like Stu said, with with both of us. Although there is a, a lead coach, I suppose, or a, a point of contact coach, yeah. if you like, when we go to meets for all the athletes. So there's no confusion between what they do when they get out of com out of competition. But Stu and I have been working together for so long now, I think the way we communicate with the athletes, we, we, we pretty much know what to say and when not to say things <laughs> at, yeah. with, with all the athletes in the group.
0: I think it's, I think it's, it's like, I mean, like you say, like some people struggle to understand it or, or whatever, but I think it's, it's really interesting. And I so think...
3: You, you just need to look outside of swimming. You know, you look yeah. at a lot of different sports now, you know, and, and the, probably the example that... that um, we looked at the most was the NFL. You might have an overall head coach, yeah. but you have an offensive coach, you have a defensive coach. You, you know, even in football, you have a goalkeeping coach, you'll have rugby's the same. So if that works in all those sports, there's no reason why it can't work within swimming as well. No, well, yeah. We've tried, we've tried different things around uh, stroke-specific groups or, um, or, Distance. or distance-specific groups. So a couple of seasons ago, we split the group into, into strokes um, sorry, into distance, distance groups. So Stuart would be working with the
1: hundred and the 200 guys, and then I would be 400 and above. And then we changed that slightly because there wasn't enough, um, 400 and above athletes, if you like to, to make that work. So like I said, now we're working in, in, stroke groups, um, which, which has seemed to work pretty well for the last two seasons. Um, so the medley guys tend to do a little bit of work with me, but when they need to work fly and, and breaststroke, they would go and do that with Stu. Um, yeah, and that, that communication between the two different sides is, is what's really important within that.
3: And I think the planning of it, so what we, what we, what we traditionally did was do a, a coach's meeting on Monday morning. Yeah. But by the time you do that meeting and you action anything from it, you're halfway into the week. Yeah. So, what we do now is we meet on the Friday and plan the following week then. So, as if there's any adjustments to a swimmer's balance or who they're going to work with, it's all done. They understand it before the end of the previous week and they're ready to roll with it then on the Monday. They've got time to, to think about it and take it on board. And again, it's just communicating and getting your point across in enough time that it's not rushed and everyone knows what you're
0: working towards. Right. So, another thing I think is like really. A kind of positive effect to the way that your your center works is that the swimmers are, are comfortable working kind of between coaches so working with one coach and work with another coach which means that potentially when they go like you say like you sent alice away to michael bowling in australia or when they go away on a team somewhere they're they're comfortable working with other coaches on a regular basis so it's not so much of a a big thing or big change to, to them when they go away and do that right
1: yeah, and, and that's something for our Olympians that, you know, they're, they're going to have to deal with. You know, when you look at the bulk of the guys on the Olympic team, a lot of them are with a coach from e- either their home coach or a coach from within their centre. So, you know, the, the three that are based in Swansea are probably, bar far one or two others, are, are in a, a, a scenario where they're they're learning to adapt to work with a coach that they don't see on a day-to-day basis. So, um. But they, they should be comfortable with that based on what they get here and they're able to, to go back and forth between the two of us.
0: So I was, I was going to touch on this later on in the, in the episode, but I guess we've, we've kind of naturally come to it now. Once those swimmers kind of are away on that camp as, as they are now, is it, is it something that you're looking to have kind of regular contact with them or, um, and, and their coaches, or is it something where you just kind of let them go and go and do that on their own now?
1: No, we'll let them go and do it on their own. They, they you know, we we've done we've done our job with them. Um, we 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 sent them away um, on Saturday, um, having done what we needed to do. They will now move into their into their coach Dave Hemmings, and then they they that's their arena coach, if you like, at the games. And then they're going to be with you and Dal in, in the holding camp. Um, the athletes know where they are, if, know where we are, if they need us. We will have contact with the coaching team out there um, with Dave. So we've arranged to and have Mal. that discussion and, and Mal for Harriet as well. Um, but I don't think we're going to be in contact with them that often unless they get in contact with us. Right. Uh, because they, they need to be comfortable out there. We can't see what they're doing. Um, so we don't want to be giving them information that maybe differs from what they're getting out there at the moment. So we've handed them over. Um, any issues, the coach will get back to us um, yeah, I think that's the best way of doing that. Yeah, no, that's something, again, we've, we've, we let them know that beforehand that there won't be much contact from us, but they know where we are if they need us because we're not there. We're not the eyes on the grind, you know, and, and the message we can give them could be it could be very different from what they're seeing out there in terms yeah. of coaching. Or it could be the same message but worded differently, and that still causes confusion. So it's best just to park with us and let them go. Yeah, we've had a lot of communication with Dave and, and the Olympic coaching team over the last, you know, six or eight weeks since they made the team. Um, and the athletes have as well. The athletes have been working with them once a week um, on a Zoom call just to build that relationship. Um, and Myself and Stu have had meetings with Dave, you know, every few weeks as well. So it's all been planned out really well. So they, they, know, they know what they're doing. They know, they know how it should be done. Um, any issues then they will they will get hold of us but it has to be coach coach led and not um confusion in the last couple of weeks
0: absolutely so let's let's talk a little bit about kind of preparing swimmers to then go away on that on that olympic games uh in in the run up um obviously coming off the back of selection um at at trials it's not like a it's not a it's not a long period of time then before they then go off and, and swim at the games so what goes into being able to make sure they can get a cycle of training done within, within that time?
1: Is it, you're right, it's not a long period of time and the world that we're currently living in has probably made it even more complicated with you know, Europeans getting bumped to this season from, from last year and then you know, back from that straight to Glasgow um, and then obviously kit days and things like that. So it, you know it, it condenses it down and I think, that's probably been the biggest challenge is how do we manage them through those periods of time where, you know, so we were in Glasgow, but the, the guys were actually working with the Olympic coaches there. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it's not been easy, but um, I guess, again, it comes down to planning and just making sure that the athletes know the plan in advance. And this is what we're trying to do with stick to it as best we can. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, like I said, planning, planning, and communication were key. Um, but also, us not showing the athlete that we, we might, we might think that they needed to be here, and instead of doing other things, yeah. you know, so they were going off doing all sorts of stuff, um, which they had to do, and we understand that. So, and they were getting a little bit stressed about that, but we couldn't show that it was an issue. Yeah. We had to just you know, show them that, okay, it's not a problem. We've got this plan um, and, and it will work out fine. So it was that communication and, and, and planning for us making sure that we're really positive with them about it all the way through.
0: And I guess like, when, it, when it comes down to it as well, they've got now like a couple of weeks still until the, actual, the games actually kick off. So they've got kind of two weeks of training out there. And then they've got, they had the, the weeks of training after selection as well. So it's almost like you were, you were looking after kind of maybe a bit of a building phase or a or, or phase of training that led up to them going out on camp. And now they're out on camp, it's kind of a little bit more preparation based, right?
1: Yeah, I think the thing to remember each time is just because you've done trials, all the work you've done before trials hasn't gone. That's meters in the bank. Now, all those gains are in the bank. They're already there. So, all you're trying to do really from trials moving into the summer then is okay, where are we? What do we need to, to still evolve? What can we still work on? So, the other, the, all the work you did through the winter hasn't gone. Yeah. You just try to you know, put the icing on the cake really in the last, because it was only a 12 week cycle. So, it's been pretty quick turnaround. So, you're not going to get the same amount of work done as you would get through in a, a, a standard British winter, if you like. So, but those meters are there. They're in the bank. They're already done.
0: And what was it like kind of with someone, for example, making like making an Olympic team is a, is a fantastic achievement. And um, for someone like, you know, Alice, was a fan, like, fantastic achievement to make the team after disappointment in, in 2016. And, you know, that must've been like a real big kind of high for her. How did how did she cope? or how did you guys cope? Cope as a team with then having okay, we've got to we've got to just get grounded again, and we've got to try and go again into Tokyo. How, how was that process for you?
2: Um. Yeah, it was it was difficult. I think it was the same with Dan. Dan
1: didn't qualify in twenty sixteen. He was like, the ranked number one swimmer going in, and he, he didn't qualify. Similar situation to Alice. So the build up into the into the trials was was pretty intense because of that. Um, So we had two two athletes going in, hadn't missed it last time. Um, We were confident that they could qualify. Um, We knew if they did what they could do, they they would be okay. Um, It was a bit up and down at Charles because Dan's last event was on the last day. He obviously didn't qualify on the 400 or the 800 beforehand, um, even though he swam well. So... By then, Alice had already qualified, I think, on on the 200 fly halfway through the week. I She was like day three or day four. But even within that, she had had to to watch Has qualify on day one on 100 fly, you know, and swim an event which Alice was has historically been like one in Britain on. So, you know, there's a new kid on the block, if you like, and for it to come from within the same program, you know, she but she managed it really well, and she handled it really professionally, and she was really happy for Haz. And uh, she just realized, she just knew, well, my day still to come. It was a big team effort, I think, not just myself and Stu. You know, we have a big team that work with the athletes. Uh, it's just about keeping them relaxed through the week. Um, you know, just getting them to trust and believe in the training that they've done. Um, and just not building it up into something, something that it, it is a big thing, trying to qualify for the Games, but just trying to keep it as well. It's another race, execute process. Execute skills, and, and and you will you will get there. Um, yeah, and thankfully it worked out okay. <laughs> and I, th- I think the key thing is you, you see it a lot with certainly with younger coaches when they get to that sort of level, you can see the nerves start to appear in the coach. And if that happens, the, the swimmers will pick up on it, and they will pick up on it quicker than you even realise they'll pick up on it. So, you know, I remember before the hundred fly, I was. Pratt and by the back at the trials with as has Alice, just trying to keep them relaxed. So you might be you might be nervous on the inside, but you can't let that show on the outside at
0: all. You, you mentioned there, Adam, about um like Dan also had disappointment in sixteen, but he also had you know not a tough time at trials this time round. But you said it was it was up and down through the week at, at trials this time round with with Dan. What do you think in terms of kind of rewinding it right back to kind of age group and youth level, what do you think are like values that swimmers need to be developing kind of at, at those ages or experiences they need to have at those ages to make sure that when they get into adulthood, they're able to, to kind of deal with those kind of situations in a relaxed manner and still get the job done like he did on, on the final day?
1: Yeah, we've spent a lot of time working with Dan. Obviously, Dan came onto the scene maybe in 2014. um, From just like a club swimmer, he came into our programme and and went to European Juniors and won in 2014. He then went to Commonwealth Games and got a bronze in 2014. So it was a massive high for him. Um, He hadn't really experienced any of that type of stuff before. As I said, he was just a club swimmer. so that was all really new to him. And then it, it started to, he didn't start to swim badly, but the pressure that he felt um, under after having some success started to get to him a little bit. So we did quite a lot of work with him around, around dealing with stress and just relaxing. And, and that's only just come together, to be honest, in the last, in the last year. You know, Dan's always had some issues around, around um, putting too much pressure on himself. and. Um, so yeah, it's just constant working with, working with a psychologist, working, working with a team of people we have here. Um, and like Shu said earlier, we do a lot of stuff around, we were just messing around with the athletes and trying, just trying to keep them relaxed and trying not to talk about swimming. And even at, even at the trials, you know, me and Dan hardly spoke about, about the race. Cause we had done all that before we knew the plan. Um, it was the outside people that maybe put a little bit of pressure on Dan after the first race, after the 403, when he didn't qualify. Even though he's summer the best time, people just expected him to win. So he's summer the best time in the 400. Then all of a sudden, people are asking him, well, you are, are you OK? You've not qualified. I'm like, yeah, it was the best time, so it's a great swim. It's just two other people swam better on the day. So we've worked, we've worked with him around, around that over the years, around ignoring the noise from the outside and, and Focusing on, on the plan that we had put in place before trials. And then when we get to trials, it's just about staying relaxed. I, I don't know if that makes sense or answer the question, but
0: No, yeah, absolutely. I think just a, a, a kind of a follow-up to that. I think like now, like in 2021, this is probably the first games we've had where there's been kind of more swimming media on social media in terms of more people with opinions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How has, how has that been for you guys and, and, and the swimmers in terms of either seeing that or not seeing that and just trying to stay stay away from it?
1: I, I think for us, it's one thing we're not very good at. I'm not, I'm not on social media, so I no. don't know anything about it. <laughs> I, I don't tend to follow any swimmers. or right? anything really much to do with swimming on social media because, you know, I think just people get so engrossed in it. You've got to have a life outside of it as well. Now, in saying that, that might be the right thing for me. Do the swimmers do that? Probably not. And sometimes they can get, and I know with Alice in particular, we've had to sort of say to her in the past, the answers you're looking for, you're not going to find on social media. Yeah. All you're going to do with, with social media is, is combine how you might be thinking. And it's never a good way you're thinking when, you know, the answer you'll find on social media is not something that's going to back you up. Um, so, yeah. It, it, there is a lot of noise out there. Um, and, and it's something that we can probably both do better in terms of managing that noise with it. But ultimately, the swimmers have to make those decisions. When do they stop looking at it? When do they start looking at or stop looking at results from other meets around the world or whatever? So, because, yeah, nine times out of 10, that's not going to be a good return for you. If you're feeling a little bit down about something and you go looking on the internet, it, it probably isn't going to help you. Yeah, Uh, Dan's Dan's okay on social media. He is on on his social media accounts, but he um, doesn't—he's not a big follower of sport, including his own sport. So he he, he might not know much about results around the world in swimming. Um, I've tried to talk to him, and you know, did you see how that? No, he doesn't know anything about it, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, he doesn't want to see—he doesn't want to see that, and that's not something that we've—we've necessarily worked with them, but. I said I'm not on social media at all, so I keep my, keep myself away from all of that.
0: Yeah, I can't blame you, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you no, know, Alice is on there, and Green Wardell was just speaking this morning about, um, again, I don't follow any of our swimmers on social media, so I don't see up this stuff, but Green was saying that some Japanese lad hasn't posted pictures of her in a outfit, you know, her GBR kit for the play eye on, Saturday and some somebody from Japan has got on there and says, "Please don't come to our country and kill us." Yeah, crazy. So, you know, there's, there's always noise out there. You know, that's not going to change. But um, yeah, it's just it's just getting rid of, it's just getting rid of that noise. You know, and and and, and I suppose as a national team, from for Wales, we we do quite a lot of education around around winning behaviours and thought process, and 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 I suppose that noise comes into that. We do that from from quite a young age on our, on our National Skills Academy and then up through our youth squad. So um, we're hoping that the next crop of athletes will be able to really manage that really, really well because of the winning behaviors project that, that we've done with them. And to use Alice as an example, she has she a has little, she just called it a support bubble, who's in her bubble. Um, and this was something that came before COVID and bubbles and all that kind of stuff. But unless you're in that bubble, your opinion doesn't matter to Alice. Yeah. And that's something that that she stuck to through, through and through. So unless you're within that that small group of people, you can have an opinion, but I'm not going to listen to it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to to kind of like like you say, kind of keep keep a lot of the noise out when when you've only only listening to it, to a few things, and then, then that makes your life a lot easier, right? Yeah. So speaking of. Um, more specifically, kind of Wales and, and, and Team Wales, from Wales. Uh, next year, obviously, is the Commonwealth Games. Um, what are your hopes as a centre for, for, for the Games in terms of athletes?
1: Well, I don't know. We'll get through these Games first, shall we? And then we can uh, maybe think about that. Um, look, last time at Commonwealth Games from the centre, it was a new centre, um, pretty much. We were a couple of years in. I think we had
2: we have three or four maybe make the team from the center. Dan, Alice, Barn. Yeah, maybe,
1: maybe three or four, I think, from the center last time. So we have, we have, we have some good hopes, I think, that we'd we'd like to put some more more athletes on the team. Um, we're hoping to be able to like like Dan and Alice, Alice has been to three, Dan's been to two you know, so they've got great experience for um, yeah. the up-and-coming guys, but uh, no, we'll just see how we go over the, over the next over the next few months. Um, we can put some more athletes on the team, some of our up-and-coming guys. That would be fantastic. I think the important thing is exactly that. Let's get athletes on the team first. Yeah. Because you have all these aspirations of, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to win that number of medals, all the rest of it. But if you don't get athletes on the team, there's no point even worrying about that first. So, you know, at the moment, the sole focus is let's get as many of them on the team as we possibly can. And um, we've got a couple of young ones who will, you know, will be uh, rattling some qualifying or consideration times this summer. So, you know, if we can get a couple of them on early doors, that's going to make life a lot easier in terms of the running to April when the, the final trials will be, if you like. Uh, The times are challenging as well. It's not. It's not. uh, You know. It's well. They're easy qualifying times. There's no easy. There's no easy route onto Commonwealth Games. Um, So the times are really challenging. That they're based on, I think, the top six. I think averaged out over a period of Commonwealth Games. So they're really challenging times. But yeah, our target will be to put as many on on as we can, and and hopefully some of our up and coming guys will, will make will make that team next year. But also, just doing a time at the moment doesn't guarantee a selection. Right. um, There is a consideration time, but that's literally all it is. Um, And from that point, they'll be ranked in terms of how far inside that consideration time you are. So, depending on the number of people who qualify, there could be a couple of people who potentially do a qualifying time, or a consideration time, should I say, and not get on the team. That's probably unlikely, but that's the reality of the selection policy that we're working to. Yeah. So, so, so Team Wales selection policy, so I think there's 85 maybe places for right. all sports. Oh, wow. So uh, we, we could get 10 or 15, on like Stu said, but wherever they're ranked, if there's people ranked higher in the Commonwealth, then that's how that works for us.
0: Right. So it's almost like getting a consideration time gets your name into a discussion, but then... Yeah compared to kind of how other people are doing, et cetera, et cetera, then that determines what the qualification is, right? Yeah,
1: so if you're a couple of 10s under or a couple of 100s under, yeah, it might be a little a bit more bit risky, a little
2: yeah. bit
0: more squeaky bum for you than it would be for somebody's who's three or four seconds under. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Right. Um, guys, it's, it's been fantastic speaking to you. Um, I think I've kind of gone through all the questions that, that, that are on my list of questions to, to ask. Um, thank you for kind of, Giving some some great answers, um, Ali. Towards as we get towards the end of of episodes, kind of, I always ask guests for kind of top three tips on on something. Um, and I thought, you know, seeing as it's the first time we've had kind of two guests on, then I'll give you I'll give you six rather than top three. So, if, um... <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: but again, because like again, it's such a almost a, a unique way of working that you've got got down there in Swansea for, for, for a swimming programme. I'm going to ask you for your, your top three tips on making sure you're, kind of, you're working as a, as a cohesive team.
1: Uh, I think communication yeah. is probably the most important between, between us and the rest of the coaching team, but the athletes as well. Um, planning. Planning, yeah. The planning needs to, be, it needs to be on point and that needs to be done together so we can't like, run off and do our own planning. It needs to be really worked out together, um, and and for me, I think over the years we've built up a level of, of trust and and a strong relationship between between us as as two coaches. Um, so that level of trust now is is the strongest it's ever been. Like we started off at the, at the start of the chat was before we set up the centre. She would be over on this side working for one employer. I'd be over on this side working for somebody else. We both had different agendas, so we had to build that relationship together, and, and that, that comes down to trust, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. Then if there's anything else, is there? Um, no,
3: not, not necessarily in terms of of the key things from the sender from that sort of perspective in terms of working together. But the one thing I would sort of say to athletes out there to listen to this. And we see this every year is leg kick. Kick is massively underdeveloped. Yeah. When swimmers come to the program, um, and I and I know why coaches have done it. And you know, historically, I came from the Bill Sweetnam era where it was all about volume. And when you've got minimal pull time and you've got to get so many meters in, the first thing you do is you get rid of kick. But kick is, you know, certainly from what we see coming in, it's it, there is a massive opportunity for athletes to get better just by improving that kick in that those age group sort of years and the youth years before they would get to a senior program like
0: us. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of some big kick sets, but you know, not only kind of volume kick sets, but also, you know, again, some good intensity within the kick set as well. Cause you've got to be able to kick fast, but you've got to be able to maintain that as well. So uh, yeah, I really do agree with that, that concept of don't forget the kick.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think based on that, because uh, I know one of the things you put on about was Alice and how we kept her going. Well, Alice, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, has got a bit of a gammy wrist. It's been operated on a couple of times. So when when, when a wrist is played up, we've turned what some people could see as a, a negative into an opportunity. And everyone will look back at come Commonwealth Games swims or or any of us swims recently and say, "Oh, she's so good off the walls." Well, the only reason she's so good off the walls is we've come, we turned adversity into an opportunity. Yeah. So. And you know, kick is the fifth stroke, so don't don't
0: sacrifice it as well, I think. Perfect, brilliant, Stuart Adam. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great speaking to you, and like I say, thank you for you know your well thought out answers. Um, you know, I certainly found them found them really interesting. So I hope hope the listeners uh, have enjoyed the episode too. No, no
1: problem. Worries. Thank you.
0: Okay, so that brings episode seven of this uh, this series to a close. Um, big thanks to, to Stuart and Adam for, for taking time out of their day to, to sit down and have that discussion with me. It was great to hear, great to hear their thoughts on not only preparing swimmers for Olympic Games, but also, um, you know, what it's like for them as coaches now having to, to take a little bit of a step back and, and also talking about some of those journeys along the way, building up to to, to this Games following, following 2016 as well. Uh, if you like the episode, make sure you share it amongst your coaching network, um, but also they give us some feedback. We're on social media Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Poolside Pass. Don't forget, check out our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com. You can find uh, all our previous episodes of the podcast over on there as well. There will be an episode eight uh, for this series, but we're going to take uh, just a few weeks off, let everyone enjoy the Olympics, uh, recover from the Olympics, and then I hope to be bringing you episode eight uh, towards the middle of August. So until then, enjoy the Olympics and take care.